Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode that features an interview with the wonderful Joanne Shaw Taylor, blues guitarist and vocalist extraordinaire. So, so psyched to have you all along for this one. It's a really great conversation. Uh, just wanted to remind everybody that there's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the Roadcase community and help out this podcast. We really rely on the support of you amazing listeners. And a really easy thing you can do to help support Roadcase is to follow us on social media. We are at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find out more information about Roadcase by visiting our website at www www.roadcasepod.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can contact us at info at roadcasepod.com. Another quick and easy way to help support Roadcase is to follow us on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, uh, you see that little follow box right at the Roadcase homepage. You click on that. If you're on Apple Podcasts, there's a check mark up in the upper right-hand corner. And when you click that uh, on those two platforms and other platforms, you will get updates as to when new episodes come live. And one other quick and easy way that really helps Roadcase. So if you like this podcast, please uh, help us out. We really rely, again, on your support. Uh, another great way to do that is to rate and review Roadcase. So if you're on Spotify, there's a little box with some stars underneath that follow box on Spotify. Just click on that. And on Apple Podcasts, just scroll up a little bit. You'll see some stars. Click on a bunch of those stars. You could write a review of Roadcase. Really helps out this podcast and really appreciate that. So I am really psyched to have Joanne Shaw Taylor on Roadcase for this episode. Uh, she's just an amazing blues artist, and if you will, and you will discover early on that she is from the UK. Uh, she was discovered as a 16-year-old by Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, and now fast forward 20 years later, she's on her 10th album, uh, and that one's entitled Nobody's Fool. It came out uh, just now in October. Uh, back in uh, 2021, she released Blues from the Heart. It's a live album, and prior to that was the Blues album, a cover album on Joe Bonamassa's label, uh, Keep the Blues Alive Records, and that went to the top of the building Billboard's chart for her. That was her first number one album. Uh, her second number one album was that Blues from the Heart live album. And of course, Nobody's Fool. She just came out with that one. Uh, she's had a long career already in blues. She's only 37 years old. Uh, really psyched to have her on the show. I saw her play with Devin Allman and the Allman Family Revival back last year at Chicago Theater. She was just uh, amazing and wonderful. Uh, really started out early as I said, uh, she's had a long and storied career in blues. We talk all about uh, that particular genre and so many different angles. Um, 
Most interestingly, the male dominance in the blues category, and that is a very interesting subject as well in what is really a male-dominated industry. And we talked to Joanne about being a woman in this industry and what that means to her. Um, she struggles a little bit with uh, with some mental health issues. And we talk about that as well. She's very open about that, although she says she doesn't like to talk about her personal life. We went into some very interesting areas, and uh, she's just a wonderful conversation, has a very typical uh, uh, British sense of humor, which I really love and really had a nice vibe going. So I know you really enjoy this conversation. Joanne's going, uh, finishing up with her North American tour and will be doing a number of different dates for you um, listeners in the UK. Uh, go to her website to check out more dates and she'll be back in the United States in uh, March and April. Uh, so make sure you uh, head to her website to check out those dates as well. Really psyched to have Joanne here. Really psyched that you're all along for this ride. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And I want to send a special thank you and shout out to Joanne Shaw Taylor for being here on this episode of Road Case. And here we go. Joanne, great to see you. Thanks so much for being on Road Case. So happy to see your Likewise, thank you for having me. I'm yeah. glad we were, were able to do this. Yeah, yeah, it took a minute, but um, <laughs> but that's all good. It's kind of part of the process. Happy to, ha so happy to have you here. Um, I didn't tell you before we chatted about a few things, but um, I saw you play with um, was it Almond Family Revival with uh, Devin sure. Almond? Yeah, at uh, at Chicago yeah, Theater. Yeah, last year. Yeah, that was. I was blown away. That was amazing. I'm like, I need this woman on my show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a fun tour. It was my first one back uh, from since COVID. Yeah, it and was it back, was I think a, it was like late November, December. Yeah. And then it got halted, 20. right, or something. I forget. Now. Well, yeah, it was, it was November, December 2021. And it was kind of like the first tour back, big tour post-COVID. Yeah. And then we just started dropping like flies. So we had like a, another week to do and we had three buses and it was on every bus. Oh. Um, and I think there was something like 12 people tested positive in the end. Oh um, so it was kind of like, well, we can do the tour, but we don't have a drummer. We don't have a lighting tech. We don't have three uh. artists. We don't, you know, it's eventually it's like, all right, we're doing a gig with three artists and a front house guy. And that's it. It's like, yeah. no, we're going to have to. <laughs> right. We're, get, we're like, going home. get a guitar tech to fill in or something like I, I don't know yeah, yeah it was just like an outbreak at some point I felt so bad for Devin I had Devin on the show he was so psyched about that and it's been it's been great it's a great tour and I think uh he's going out again and uh I I don't know are, are you a part of that going forward I'm not no he very kindly asked me to be um I already had a U.S. tour booked and then we literally finish in Nashville and fly straight to the UK so there wasn't even like a little gap I could hop on for a few days um gotcha. but what's been nice is like a lot of like Sam's reached out to me on the River Kittens and you know a few mm -hmm. people to say like oh we're gonna miss you Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the opening band River Kittens they were great they were really really terrific I really enjoyed them they were so much fun and I rarely get to tour with females. So it was a real treat. We had Lily, we had the river kittens, Sam fish came out for a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but particularly those two obnoxious, loud mouth, <laughs> talented <laughs> little 
madams, I yeah. should say, because we're recording. Sometimes it's like the right. gentler of like the folk oriented music. Maybe the louder someone is kind of off stage. Oh, they were raw. Yeah, I <laughs> immediately became best friends with both of them. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was really good. And yeah, I've well, since had them out with me. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned that you don't get a chance to tour with with female artists uh, a lot. You're, you're in, you're in blues. It's a, it is a I, male dominated. I don't know. Correct me. Give, give me the proper terminology terminology. It seems to be a male dominated genre. You know, I yeah. mean, I'd like to say that you dominate the genre, but you probably dispute that. Cause I know you're very humble, but um, what is, yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about the, the impact we'll get, we'll get into your background and your latest albums, but since you brought it up, you know, I just wanted to kind of flow right into that. Cause it's an interesting subject sure. to cover in blues. There's, there's been so many male artists and it's sort of male dominated going back to blues riffs on classic, you know, classic rock and, um, mm. and, you know, progressing through solo blues artists, et cetera, collaborations. Um, Tell me, talk to me a little bit about being uh, a woman in, in the blues genre and what impact well, that has on you. Well, I think more than that, it's, it's a very male dominated industry. So yeah. it's not just the genre I'm in. Um, so I remember having a conversation with a guy that used to play bass for me for a while and we're still friends and we met for a drink. Um, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm hopefully getting Steph in the band to play drums. Who was a, a drummer he knew as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of rolled his eyes, you know, because I said, oh, you know, I've got another girl on the tour bus. And he kind of rolled his eyes. And he was like, God, what is it with you and, and getting other chicks on the tour bus? <laughs> I'm like, Paul, you've been in the industry for the same amount of time as me, say 20 something years. Imagine yeah. if every producer, every sound engineer, every live engineer, every live lighting technician, every uh, venue, you know, crew member, every tour manager, every guitar technician, every band member, every agent, every publicist everybody you ever worked with was female mm. and there wasn't one guy that ever, you know, if you did come across a male in the industry, it was an anomaly and it was you right. know, one journalist for yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, actually I never thought of it like that. Like I would probably find that quite difficult. I went, he actually said I'd probably kill myself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was being a bit melodramatic. Kind of. <laughs> uh, so it's that, you know, and then every festival you do, you know, again, it's harder, I think, to be a crew member as a female. Um, you know, that's exceptionally male-dominated. It's nice to see it changing a little bit. But it was it was more that than anything. It wasn't the case of, I mean, if anything, there were more female artists in the industry than there are crew or, you know, music producers or, mm -hmm. or sound engineers. Um, so, yeah, it was just that, that, you know, I never got the chance to work with other females, um, which I've made a concerted effort to find more females to employ uh i've got a female day-to-day -day manager i've got a female publicist i've got a female uh, uh tour manager had a female drummer for the longest while so just try and even it out a little bit because i have found i've been on a tour bus when it's predominantly male i've been on a tour bus when it's predominantly female rarely but and i've been on a tour bus when it's quite well balanced between the sexes and it seems to be a healthier environment i think people mm -hmm are their natural self when there's an equal balance of people. I think 
you know, men tend to be a bit more macho when there's no women around. I know my, yeah. I adapt my personality to, to hang in with a lot of guys than if I was hanging with a lot of girls. So uh, it's something I try and encourage. And, um, you know, just it's, it's nice to, to see it making a bit of a difference and more females coming through, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good that you're you're also employing other women to in in in, in various roles and in, in tech roles. I, I don't see a lot of women in tech roles. I have a lot of women mm. on the show, artists, uh, tour managers, uh, booking agents and others. I try to do my part to, to represent uh, women in the industry and move forward with them and 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 represent and show that there are there are places for women in a male dominated yeah. uh, industry. I mean, again, at the end of the day, being female isn't a disability. If you're not a good tour manager, it's not because you're a female. It's because you're not a very good tour manager, regardless of gender. You know? Right. But, but if there are a majority, managers, if there are a majority of male tour managers there, you yeah. sort of think, given what you said, you want to give women an opportunity to be to 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 enjoy the same opportunities because there's no reason why they shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there there are reasons, but uh, there are there are <laughs> um, intrinsic reasons in the industry because it's been um, traditionally male dominated. But you know, you don't want to give them an op- an opportunity to to um, and show what's possible that it doesn't need to be um, the John gender 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 based. Sorry. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's even if you're a crew member, you're working in the arts, and the arts is very specific multi-personality and um, creativity than it is, you know, physical role. So it's, you know, it, it's, there's no reason why you can't excel in this industry. So again, it is nice to, to see more people coming through and I hope that will continue. Yeah. And the blues genre itself has been somewhat, has been male dominated. Um, when you were coming up, when you were younger, did you have female role models um, or did you seek out female role models? Was that difficult for you to do? Did you even care? Did you sort of latch <laughs> on to the same male, the, to, to the male stars that are, that so dominate the blues genre? I definitely latched on to male guitar players. I mean, again, there weren't really any female, I mean, a lot of female guitar players, but you know, I remember looking at a guitarist magazine in the UK when I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14. So in the late nineties, and they did a poll of the top 100 male guitar players. And it was Eric Clapton and B.B. King and Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page, you know, the obvious. Mm, yeah. Beck. And then the females was like Bonnie Rae, Sheryl Crow, Joan Jett, which are all great artists and great players, but there weren't really, other than Jennifer Batten, I think there weren't really those solo instrumentalist sort of guitar players. Um, mm. So I latched on to male players, really. I mean, Steve Ray Vaughan was the, one, the guy that kind of, for me, just screamed at me you know hey yeah, play yeah. guitar if you want to do this uh which i think was unusual to me i think we do look for ourselves in our heroes so for some reason as a 13 year old girl i saw a 20 year old cowboy from texas and saw myself doing <laughs> that um and it never really occurred to me that my sex should have anything to do it with it to be honest um i mean i'd always been a tomboy I'd always played football it never occurred to me that i couldn't do anything that i was held back by my uh, gender until I really started gigging and, and getting into the industry. And then I, I realized quite quickly that it was seen as a novelty. Mm. Um, and it was a bit of a blessing and a curse. Um, on one hand, I think uh, almost excuses were made for me. Like I didn't have to be as good because I was a girl. 
you know, which is obviously a oh, horrendous yeah. disability. But also I found it harder to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. People actually I use mean, those words like uh, you don't have to be as good. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, the that's other, really striking. The, yeah. Well, the main thing was constantly being told you're good for a girl as if yeah. it's yeah. haven't you done well with those ovaries that are holding you back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, as if it was again some sort of disability. And how did that um, make you feel at the time hearing things like that? Those those type of messages. Did that motivate you? Did that discourage you at the time? What was kind of the impact on you? I think looking back, I mean, in honesty, I'd love to tell you that I rose above it, and you know, I, I decided I was a lifelong feminist. But I think I was so young that I just took it as a compliment. You know, like an mm. idiot. Not realizing it well, you didn't know when you were young. Yeah, give yourself a um, break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of look back, and I think there was a little bit of me that was sort of. I think by the time I got to my late teens, um, because the other thing I had was that I was a teenager, so every time there was press, it was fifteen-year-old guitar player, sixteen-year-old guitar player, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, I can't wait to be twenty-one, and then they won't mention my age, and then I became a female guitar player, and I remember thinking, <laughs> right. oh, I never thought about the female thing. I just thought I was, you know, I was outgrowing the novelty when I turned twenty-one. Interesting. Um, so I think that sort of hit a lot of it for me. I think I was so focused on being young and not being taken seriously, which you know is a bone of contention for all teenagers. You want to be older and. Oh yeah, I know from experience of having my own teenagers that all they want yeah. to do is just be older. When my eighteen-year-old yeah. was eighteen, she wanted to be twenty-one. Now she's twenty and still wants to be twenty. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's crazy. That makes it sense, is. though. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's more focused on the age thing at that point because it was kind of you in the middle, and you were just you were just doing your thing. Yeah, I mean, as you've just said, we've all, we've all been through it ourselves, and then some of us have gone through it with children. Yeah. And it is that weird age of 17 of that you look like an adult, you are an adult, you can drive a car, but you're just not quite, you know, right, being right. taken seriously as a uh, an adult. And it's, you know, it's a frustrating time. So I think a lot of it was hidden in that, you know, uncomfortable period that we all go through. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about growing up in the, in the UK. I guess, uh, wh what area was that? Uh, we moved about a bit. I was born in an area called the Black Country, which uh -huh. is where all of my family's from. But we moved to a small village in Solihull, sort of near Stratford-upon-Avon, when I was 10 weeks old. Okay. Um, where is that sort of in the UK? I'm not like so... It's it's outside of Birmingham. Okay. It's, it's about 10 miles outside of Birmingham, about five miles from Stratford-upon-Avon. So West Midlands. But we went back to the... I had young grandparents. They're only in the 40s when we were born. So... We'd go back and stay with them in the black country every weekend. Black so country. Is that like because it was there was coal industry there? Or what, yeah. What oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Coal industry. The sky used to be black constantly. And, you know, uh, at five o'clock, you'd see all these workers. Is that what Robert stuff. Plant was referring to in black country woman? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Plant's from the black country. So it's kind oh, of like okay. the Detroit of England. Uh, half a Zeppelin from their Bonham and Plant from black country. Um, some of the deep purple guys. One of my favorite bands, Slade, which is a glam rock band uh -huh. that nobody ever seems to have heard of in the US. Um, <laughs> I've, I've heard of it. I'm not really quite knowledgeable Yeah, I knowledgeable think Quiet Riot that. stole all their hits <laughs> in America. So. Right. Just stirring but, yes. up some controversy, Joanne. 
Or maybe that's already that's, kind of a general acceptance sort of thing. <laughs> All right, let's do that. That, um, but growing up as a youngster, you were listening to the the Texas Stars, and I, it was funny. I was reading something about Joe Bonamassa. It was like I grew up worshiping the British Stars, and you grew up in the Great Britain uh, worshiping the the Texas Stars. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about like what that environment. I mean, clearly you were you were. You, you're in the UK, you, you know, you were born in like, I think the 90s or something like that. But um, uh, the 80s, so I, in the, I would in the love 80s, to so. it was the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, not trying to play like that, the, the age thing or anything like that. But um, I mean, just an incredible tradition of rock, blues, music in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, what what was the you, you said you had um you listened to stevie ray vaughn but tell me a little bit about just coming up and what what sort of caught your ear at the time was there a lot of uh zeppelin cream jeff beck what what was that that influenced you primarily when you were when you were young it, for me it really was the american guys i didn't really get mm -hmm. into the british stuff till much later mm -hmm. um and I will say I didn't really listen to music at all till I was about 13. And I'd play guitar, really? play classical guitar. And my brother was a big music fan. My dad was a massive music fan. But I was a pretty typical teenager. I think the first concert I went to was Backstreet Boys when I was 11, you know. <laughs> okay, that'd be Spice pretty Girls, typical, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and Oasis, I loved it. I went through a phase about 12 where I started trying to listen to more serious music, you know, Oasis and Blur and... Uh, garbage, I think, were pretty big at the time. And mm -hmm. then that led pretty quickly to wanting to switch from classical guitar to electric because my brother was playing and my dad. Mm. Um, and dad just played me a bunch of videos, really, to see if there was something that resonated with me. And it was Stevie. But it was just that kapow moment of, oh, God, I, this is a whole new world I didn't know existed. And I right. have to study this. And I'm going to leave school and move to America, um, you know, <laughs> just had this whole vision planned of what my life was going to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just dug deep into the Texas stuff, really. It was Stevie and Albert Collins at first. And then I discovered two kids called Johnny Lang and Kenny Wayne Shepherd, mm -hmm. who at the time were pretty similar ages to me. If I was 13, they were probably 16 and 17. Right. Which, again, added fuel to the fire that, you know, you could do this when you're a teenager. And, you know, I didn't have to wait till I was 40 to... <laughs> have a professional career. Uh, so yeah, I just pretty much fell down that rabbit hole. The British guys came later, probably early 20s. I kind of really yeah. started digging more into that. Well, what was that key that um, when you sort of crossed over from this is something that I love to do versus this is something I can do as as a career, as a vocation, as a um, as sort of my life's work? Was that was that was that sort of a, a, a key turning point for you? It, it was seeing Stevie. I mean, it was literally, oh, I saw where was the video. That? Oh, video on video. It, yeah. Yeah. No, he'd already passed away by the time I was. 13. Oh yeah. What was like late eighties or something, right? Yeah. He died in 1990. So I'd have been okay. about five. So yeah. I was a bit, bit too young. I missed most of them to be honest. Um, but no, it was watching the video and went, Oh God, I've got to do that. You know, I could already play classical. So I figured I could play electric. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just, that was what I was going to do. Uh, I think I was already interested in America a bit, you know. I remember having a big map of America in the back of my wardrobe, and it just looked oh, no. so massive, Yeah, you know, and had yeah. all these. I remember looking at, like, Nebraska, like, that sounds exciting. You knew nothing about nothing. the states at that point, yeah. 
But, you know, I remember I making a list of I wanted to go to every one of them. I think it was just growing up on a very small island. Um, right. You know, I obviously had the travel bug or that nomadic thing that you need to be a, a touring musician. And America looked like the biggest country that I could get to and, you know, travel for, you know, years. So right, uh, right. I think that was certainly an enticing part of it all. Yeah. Well, if we're talking um, about your teenage years, I, we need to talk about Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. And you have you were mm -hmm. famously, quote unquote, discovered by him. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure you've talked, I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like you've probably talked about this before. Uh, but how did that meeting come about and, and what was the importance for you at that time? Uh, it came about because my mom had just had breast cancer and there was a charity concert in Birmingham, England, uh, that some artists to do with UB40, I think were putting together mm -hmm. and they'd asked me to perform because I'd been sort of on the local BR&B Birmingham radio uh so they asked me to perform because I've got a demo and a little band and we went and played and a friend of Dave's was there um and he went nuts uh and said Dave would Dave should really wants to he's going to want to hear this yeah. so I gave him a demo cd and my mom and dad seemed very excited I was 15 and I had you know no idea who Eurythmics were or Dave Stewart or any of, of it um and he phoned the next day and we went down to London on the train and he just started a record label, the Artist Network, and asked, you know, my parents if he could sign me. Uh, and I just was about to leave school because back then you used to leave at 16 or you had the option of leaving at 16, yeah, which I was yeah. encouraged by my head of year, uh, Miss Wendy Scriven, who was a wonderful teacher and uh, very encouraging of me and saw how hard I was working and basically just said, look, you can always come back to education, but you know, you've got the opportunity to do this now. So go and take yeah, a gap sure. year or two and which was fantastic. You know, a lot of teachers wouldn't have done that. And uh, maybe she yeah, just so wanted to get, maybe she just wanted to get rid of you. I don't know. Probably. That yeah, could have been yeah, yeah. me and my brother, I think at that point, I get this rocker girl out of here. As, exhausted ASAP. her temperament. Right. Uh, so but you yeah, were already I mean, you were already gigging around and playing at that time. What what did that early? You said you'd already recorded a demo. Um, mm -hmm. So you were really dedicated to this as like an early teen. Um, yeah, were, I mean, were I you out playing gigs and and um, playing clubs or getting some dates, playing in front of uh, you know, getting out there live performing? Yeah, I mean, my parents were very supportive, so they were kind of shuttling me up and down the country on weekends yeah, that to go helps. to gigs. And yeah. I'd been to Europe, I think I'd done one or two small tours of like Holland, Belgium, a few festivals. So I was getting out there. Uh, yeah. I'd only Scots and Birmingham. Like we're talking uh, like 14 or 15? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, they, 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 uh, you, you were so lucky to have parents that were supportive and into music at that time. So many artists that get a younger start have support, were, had supportive parents for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, if I got lucky at anything, it was that. And also I should say that having come across a lot of, we call them dadages, you know, dads that want to be, you know, in the band really, and they manage and micromanage and, Sort of dadagers, you said? Dadagers, <laughs> uh, momagers and dadagers. You yeah. know, it wasn't that situation. They just wanted to, they loved the idea of both me and my brother doing something we love to do for a living, you know, mm -hmm. living as good a life as possible, yeah. one that was fulfilling, and they wanted to support both of us doing that. Um, and as soon as I turned 18, they stopped coming along, you know. They would yeah. come for a nice night out, the two of them, and have dinner and see me, but they weren't right. 
right. zero interest in being on a tour bus or, it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You were touring with your brother at that time? Ben uh, played bass in an early lineup of my first band, and I fired him when he fell asleep playing on stage. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, just like. I'm like, yeah, I have one fucking job, dude. Just stay upright. Was he like drinking too much or doing something weird or what? He was just bored. Oh my <laughs> God. Jeez. Did you just kick it, kick his ass up there? Or yeah, what? well, he was in another band. So he uh, played guitar as well. And he was in like a bit of a sort of Black Crows kind of rock band. And right. he was writing and enjoyed that. I think they're still, he's not in them anymore, but I think they still play Rattlesnake Remedy, I think they were called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Ben got fired pretty promptly. And I think he was he was more than fine with that. I don't think right, his heart was... Right. How are your ner- how how are your nerves as a kid up there playing live up on a stage? Um, you know, and, and like obviously, I, I'm assuming they were kind of smaller venues. Maybe at the festivals they weren't. But how did you how did you manage that as a kid? I think it was actually easier than later in my career. You yeah. know, I think when you're that young and nothing's ever gone wrong for you, and everyone yeah. ignorance is bliss, you good. Yeah, exactly. When nothing ever bad has happened to you you've got no anxiety because you don't know you should be anxious or nervous you know yeah right you've been on stage people You're not in your head as much as you you don't have as much life experience to get up in your head potentially yeah and also you know was, i've been in school which i hated with a passion i hated having to be somewhere every day and doing mm. the same thing um so i was just glad to be out of that to be honest uh yeah. so yeah no no nerves early on i think that came a bit later you know you have a bit later yeah i mean i think i suffered a bit a few years ago um which we can come back to because we're, we're skipping ahead a lot if you, if you don't yeah that's do that, okay but... i can jump around yeah so it's about i had a bad business deal basically I, I started my own label and it wasn't going well and it was very controlling manipulative sort of relationship but mm. i was very unhappy in myself and it did directly start to affect performing uh and things started getting a bit bigger. We started doing TV, which I'd never really done before. You know, the occasional sort of Jules Holland or mm-hmm. a BBC thing. Um, and I think also not being in the right frame of mind and completely burned out, you know, after sort of 13 years of touring, that's when it started to set in. Because you're older and you know it can go wrong, you know. Right, you think, well, right. I've, had a, I've had an anxiety attack before and now there's <laughs> cameras filming it. Oh, <laughs> so. Sure. Uh, so again, whereas when you're 15, it's just, I'm not school today. I've got any homework. This is great. You know? Yeah. I mean, how, how'd you, how'd you get through that? Um, that later on was, was it primarily about TV and cameras and not having an audience, maybe that energy that can propel you? Yeah. Well, I think like I there is an audience at Jewel in Jules Holland, but you, you know, like yeah. not the, like the typical concert audience and uh, you know. yeah. I mean, it's a bigger deal. It's live. Yeah. You know, and I've been it's a huge deal. A what a great show. That's like, yeah. And I, I was super glad to do it, but yeah. I think it was an accumulation of things. I was burned out. Uh, mm. I was tired, which started to affect me mentally. And then, yeah. you know, I started to think more of, of oh, I'm not very good and I'm letting the fans down. And then you're thinking about that when you're on stage and, mm. And to be honest, the bit of a blessing in disguise was COVID because suddenly I had to stop for two years and just rest yeah. and yeah. take having home life, you know, go to bed in the same bed every day, cook, right. which I hadn't right. done since I was 13. So it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, that did me the world of good, to be honest. Yeah. To be able to get regrounded. I think I hear that story a lot, like almost from exclu- every artist I sp- to speak yeah. to was like, 
you know, I mean, there is obviously letdowns and momentum for some bands or if they were on tour and had to come home. But but for the most part, I think that for artists that had been touring for a while, I think it was a welcome respite in a, in a way. It just looked at yeah. as a, in a vacuum. I mean, I, I, as you just said, I felt really bad for younger artists that were maybe just, you know, if you're on your first deal and you were about to release an album and then oh, that yeah. hit and you went, oh, that's, yeah. that's tough. But I mean, I was pretty established. So, I mean, I'm so fortunate you know i could stop for two years and it wasn't going to derail my career it was probably actually a good thing yeah um i'm really curious about like the emotional impact of the blues let's talk about that for a minute Mm -hmm. um these are traditionally now i'm no expert in the blues but it's sort of hard scrabble my life is fucked this is going shitty this is going bad (laughs) this is like you know and i'm gonna I'm going to scream through my guitar the emotions that you feel when things aren't going so well and we're all going to f- collectively feel better because of that. Mm. What's the what what is and, and you and you're singing and your your voice is lovely and it's and it's evolved over the years as well mostly because as from what I understand is your own desire to put your own voice out there in a different way and 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 that's and that's wonderful. Um what's is is there an emotional impact in singing about these tough, deep, emotional subjects that the blues is based on and having to kind of put on that mantle of blues emotion every night or, or at least when you're playing. Talk, talk to me a little bit about what impact that has on you as a performer um, in the blues genre. I think for me, it's all been hugely positive. Mm-hmm. And I think I would really struggle um, I mean, knowing exactly, you know, what we know about mental health now, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had it since I was quite young. I have an anxiety disorder. Um, You know, I'm just a hugely anxious person. And then, you know, that kicks off the OCD. Uh, Oh, how does that manifest itself? I don't know too much about it. it. So it's sort of. It depends. If if I'm at my most anxious, it can get difficult to leave the house without doing a set of, I call it getting stuck in a loop where certain things have to be turned on and off a certain amount of times. I've got to touch the lamp. I've got to do this and it all is a set routine. And then if I feel I've done it out of place, I've got to do it three times. Um, That's got to get in the way. Yeah. And then occasionally, I mean, I get, I have a relatively mild, occasionally there's a couple of like more physical ticks that can come in, which really only come in if, if I'm very anxious, which is usually if I'm about to get on an airplane, which I still hate. Oh, really? <laughs> so, oh, shit. We'll talk about that. So if, <laughs> if you see me sort of like knocking my head and oh. outing my fingers and stuff, it's just walk by. I'm fine. I'm happy in my own little misery. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So, I mean, you know, going through that, and it's funny because my brother has all of this. You know, we, my mom is quite an anxious person. We've sort of inherited a little bit. And, you know, he has, he's taken up cycling a ridiculous amount. Like he goes to France and does these sort of 500 semi-miles. Nice. Nice. I'm a cyclist too. I, I, I respect okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. So British cycling's really coming up these days with a couple of really new great pros. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he's found his way of, he gets, he dresses in Lycra and he goes to France and he cycles 500 miles. And yeah, that's how he yeah. copes with his anxiety and I get on stage and I scream in a microphone and play a very loud guitar. And, you know, I don't know what I'd have done without that. And, you know, it has helped me through things, whether it's, I mean, obviously a lot of the songs are 
the specific songs I've written about certain relationships or certain big breakups or or happy occasions, which has been therapeutic. Uh, and there's been tours where I've been heartbroken and it's been therapeutic to sing those particular songs yeah, every sure. night. Are you and like, yes, I'm, 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 I'm heartbroken. I can really yeah. dig into this song. That's, that's what You're it's ready all about. For a right? 30 minute slow blues. Cause it's coming either way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but but would, then there's been tours where yeah. like now where I'm very comfortable and happy in myself and my home life's good. And I just enjoy, you know, whether it's particularly a song that I wrote in a bad frame of mind, I still enjoy singing it and, you know. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. Now I'm going to sound like all the, um, the, uh, uh, will you been almost famous where like, do you have to be sad to write a sad song? Do you have <laughs> yeah. to be happily in love to write a love song. I don't mean, I don't, don't want to sound that trite, but um, is it tough for you if you're in like a good mood to sort of get into that sort of bluesy framework? You're going to say, I, all right, I got the breakup song or you just kind of leave those out. No, or may, maybe I the breakup so. was good. And there's like, there's kernels of a breakup that are always positive and things happen for a reason. If we're really talking about the big picture here. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I don't talk too much about personal life, but I, I have started to a little bit recently just on the basis that fans started saying, you know, things like, I'm sorry, you can't find a good man. And I'm like, no, I've, I've been in a happy relationship for seven years. I just write songs every day. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I'm right. fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, so I've just done an album and nothing majorly has happened. It was the first time I got I've really written since COVID. So that was nice of having like a two-year break. So it was quite refreshing to write. Mm. Uh, but I mean, all that stuff is, it's just stuff we've lived through and you live with it still, you know, and you've, you've healed from it. And, uh, you know, it's not like you're walking around with massive scars, but, you know, we go through things and we, we deal with them, but they do, you know, live with you as part of your personality. And it is quite easy to draw on that feeling again. Um, and it's not like I specifically sit down and go, I need to write a breakup song. I write something on the guitar. It tells me immediately whether it's a happy melody or a sad one. And then, you know, I figure it out from there and it's, you know, usually you can tap into past experience, but it's every album is not a massive breakup album. I don't dump someone every time I make an album just yeah, so I've got yeah. material. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's easy to, to draw on stuff. I think you keep it with you, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's good to, well, it's, it can be good and bad. I mean, to be able to access the emotions that you've felt in the past without, um, necessarily second guessing yourself. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I want my baby back kind of, kind of emotion versus that was fucked. Let's deal with how fucked up it was so that we can move forward. Those are two separate. Those are two separate items. I think the latter where you're sort of like, we we're going to deal with those emotions and get it up and out. That's extraordinarily healthy. And I think it's the, yeah. it's that type of, um, of, of renewal and kind of emotional rebirth and digging into those, that sadness so that we can move forward is what really propel, propels the blues, I think, and makes it so, such a, such a popular medium. Yeah. And it's, you know, like you just said, where you hit on something there where, you know, I'm 37 now and there's some songs I wrote about this album that might be about an individual that I wrote a lot of songs about 15 years ago. And it, you know, you have relationships and you go through them and as you age, your feelings about them change, you know, because you've only ever, this is the first time I've been 37 and I remember 25 year old Joanne and she's a very different woman. You know, she's right. a lot more yeah, <laughs> slightly yeah. hinged. Uh, 
So you again, is better. it more is it more <laughs> about kind of the age differences that now you're older, but maybe I'm singing a song that I did when I was 25 and um Yeah, exactly. I think it's just readdressing stuff that you've still gone through and you know, I wrote a song when I sang about my mom who passed away 10 years ago. Oh, sorry. Um but thank you. And it's, you know, I've never written any songs about her really, and it was because I've realized I thought I was good losing my mom at 28. I thought, you know, I wasn't particularly happy about it. It was devastating and she was very young. She was only 57, but mm. I thought I was old enough. I'd had all the experiences I needed my mom for. And I thought, you know, it's okay. You can go. I've got this. And then you get to 37 and there's 10 years worth of questions that you never thought to ask because I wasn't 37 when she passed away. I was 28 mm. and I asked 28 year old questions. Um, so it was kind of a song about, what would she would say to me now and what conversation we might have now. Oh. Um, what so, was like know, a main question that you would, that you wanted to ask her when you've got like 10 years down the road? I think it was more of a comfort thing in that, I mean, the song is really about getting to the, it's really about time because there's a strange thing. And I don't know if you've lost someone or particularly a parent because, you know, they're such a part of your day to day life that, mm -hmm. Very early on, for the first few years, I remembered her as a cancer patient and the way she looked. And now it's been 10 years, I seem to remember her more being healthy and fit. Yeah. Um, and that seems like I saw that version of my mom a couple of days ago, whereas the cancer patient feels like it was a decade ago, which it was. Mm. And sort of, and then that makes me think, oh, I wish you'd phone her. I haven't spoke to her for ages. And then, oh. you know, you remember. So it's sort of that thing of like time playing oh. tricks on you. And, and I suppose it's, you know, like we discussed that my feelings about my previous relationships now have softened and I look at them in a, a different way, just as my mom's passing, I, the grief has changed. You know, I remember a different mom now. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's more about that, really. And, you know, I can only write those songs now. And there are songs hopefully I'll write when I'm 50 that I couldn't have written now because, you know, I've had another 13 years of experience and relationships and nonsense that you go through in life, you know. Yeah, that's interesting how you're, your view on events can evolve as you get older. And that sort of makes sense. It, I, I would assume that gives you hope for your own material in the future that you don't have to break up with somebody, <laughs> you know, it yeah. doesn't have to be so immediate. There, 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 there can be thoughts that you, that move you forward in life. Uh, it's kind of reflect in a reflective fashion and that can be future material. I'm so, I'm just so interested in like blues material and sort of breaking out of the traditional, um, you know, breakup, mm -hmm. somebody fucked me over, et cetera. <laughs> um, and, and how you can sort of look at that from a different, different perspective. And you've provided one of those answers. It's age okay. gives you perspective. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, it's, you know, some people ask me if I only write sad songs and it's like, well, no, but that kind of is what blues is. It's about expressing your emotions. And of course, negative emotions are always louder than, you know, you never go, oh, I'm very content and happy. Let's write a song about being content. You yeah, know, right. you want to write a, banjo, a song about... Let's get a banjo and play happy music. Yeah, you know, you want to, you want to, you feel the need to express yourself when it's all bleeding hearts and <clears throat> agony. Um and that makes for great emotion because it's a very strong emotion, you know, heartbreak yeah. or hate or, you know, whatever else. It's a, it's a more powerful, stronger emotion, I think, than right. being comfortable and happy in yourself. Well, and, you know, I'm not going to write about politics. I'm just or I'm not right now. Maybe I'll change my mind in years to come. But right. 37-year-old Joanne is saying she doesn't want to write about politics, so maybe 50-year-old Joanne yeah. will start doing that. 
50-year-old drag quits, becomes member of the Monster Raving Looney Party and, <laughs> and uh, starts... Or yeah. becomes a U.S. citizen and now <laughs> yeah. is a senator from Tennessee or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've got my own political... <laughs> viewpoints and you know look i'm sure it wouldn't shock anyone to know that a working class girl from the black country who's a musician is probably not is sort of slightly left of center but yeah absolutely um i just think people are going to vote how they want to vote and just because i sing a song they're not going to change their mind are they yeah yeah so i kind of stay out of it for now but again i reserve the right to change my mind Absolutely. Who? Of course. Of course. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna begrudge you that opportunity for sure. <laughs> Anybody can like change directions. I am a woman. We we do change our minds from okay. time to time. More than men, you think? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> All right. I you said that. So. You said that, not me. I think so. I mean, I'm not a good good example to go by because I mean, I'm mad. So <laughs> I think that's why I change. I'm sexually divisive. Decisive, but I've got OCD and a mountain of problems. <laughs> so right. I don't think it's because maybe I'm you have female. too many answers. That's why you're counting your fingers. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. a, I, maybe, perhaps that's a that's that's one clue. Um, guitar. So you play a shredding ass guitar. I love your tone. I love what you do. I'm no guitar expert. I can make my way around a guitar just because I picked one up when I was 12 and took lessons and was obsessed with Jimmy Page. Um, nice. Tell me, what what does it feel like to be able to produce emotions so succinctly and so beautifully, loudly and deeply with your fingers through a piece of wood that's got strings on it and is being amplified Ooh. through a huge amp and brings huge sound? What is that? Talk to me a little bit about what that process is and how it feels emotionally to be able to project that out from the stage. Well, firstly, thank you. That was a nice compliment. Um, it's so hard to describe because unless you've done it, because it is all those things you've just described beautifully, yeah. by the way, it yeah. is oh, expressing an emotion through pressing fingers to wire on wood, which is a ridiculous thing to make a sound that, right. you know, emits out it's to such an a audience. physical instrument. I mean, I don't want to take away from other instruments. Drums are physical. Uh, keyboards and I talked to Phil Cook and he's like, you know, keyboards is a percussive instrument, you know? Mm. Um, he was talking to me about being on stage at Newport Folk because I talked to him at Newport Folk, you know, just basically you said butt to butt with another keyboardist, you know, and just mm. playing and pushing it through that way. Guitar for me, because you can bend a note, because it's so physical, because your fingers are right there, you're up in front of the audience, they're seeing what you're doing, your fingers mm -hmm. and your body language is a big part of the process. It's just always been so very fascinating for me and, and for so many others in the, in the music that are music fans. Yeah, and it is, it is magical. It's the only yeah. way of describing it. Yeah. It's the closest I can think I would feel unless I get my letter to Hogwarts. <laughs> I don't have a proper wizarding jaw. <laughs> right. But that's what it feels like magic. But it also does have this physical physical element when it all syncs up. Mm. And it's the closest I can imagine. I can't dance, not properly. You know, my mom was a dancer. She was a professional ballroom dancer and my grandparents were. Oh, really? And I should imagine that's what it's like when you hit the right bend and you manage to get the right movement. But, you know, I don't do for show. You do it because you feel it. That's... Yeah, like the guitar bends a certain way and it makes you bend a certain way and it, it's very all connected and I should imagine that's what dancing feels like professionally mm. like a really mm -hmm. good like a salsa dance or a foxtrot to you know Frank Sinatra I, it's 
uh, yeah, it's very physical. It's very magical. It's very beautiful. It's very um, just expressive, you know. And then, of course, you've got the adrenaline that you get when you exercise, that lovely feeling of, you know, having done, if you, you know, I used to be a runner. If you've ever had that magic run where you're aiming for three miles, but four miles is easier, five is even easier. And, you know, you mm-hmm. just hit that sweet spot of like, I'm a machine. This yeah, is right. amazing. Right. right. Um, yeah. Only so, like 10 uh, seconds later, you're like, you're just, like, nope. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's my good knee gone as well. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a combination of that really it is right. And then to think that other people are really enjoying it and, you know, you just don't know. Again, I'm very lucky to do what I do because we all go through this stuff. We all lose parents. We all get our hearts broke. We all have health problems, but I get to go on stage and sing and there's people out there going through those things and they don't have that uh, sense of release, I suppose. So it's mm. nice to think that they get something from me that, you know, they leave at the end of the night and go, oh, that was well worth, you know, the money I paid and it's really helped. And, you know, I've, I've really, really enjoyed myself. Yeah. Where do you, do you, um, do you get a lot of like feedback from fans um, outside of the performance arena? I mean, or talk to me about how you feel that you're kind of accomplishing that goal for lack of a better word. Um, it's kind of hard to gauge. Like I like to talk a lot on stage, which I never used to be comfortable with. I mean, not like, you know, I give massive seminars when I'm up there, but (laughs) I've managed to figure out a way. Slideshow, et cetera. (laughs) Yeah. Like Ted talk. Um, but I've managed to gauge a way of having a little bit of bond with the audience that feels like I'm, you know, and it's not every single person, but you can kind of read the room a bit and feel positive energy coming back and you can feel it when it's, you're not getting anything back as well. (laughs) And you're like, all right, gotta keep trying. Um, and then I'm very hesitant to be online. I do Instagram a little bit. I don't do Facebook. I figured out in COVID that that's, you know, I dip my head in every now and again for the for the nice people that want to say something. And, and it's, you know, you kind of want to be there to read it if they made the effort for a comment. But it's also a lot of negativity and just, yeah, you know, trolling yeah. and stuff. And it's just not worth it, to be honest. Um, so it's a bit of a mix, you know, social helps a little bit. Um, you know, when I stick around afterwards, I don't do the meet and greets at the merch table anymore because they always... I constantly get colds and then the tours are cancelled, but I do <laughs> let people know that I will be at the stage door if, you know, you really do want something signed or a photo or a chat or whatever you want, you know. That's nice. Um, That's pretty unique. I try to, well, I mean, for years and obviously on the blue circuit, it's kind of beaten into that do a gig, then you go out for an hour and you shake everybody's hand, say thank you for coming, you know, and oh, I did that for years. Um, and then after sort of 15 years and the tours got bigger and longer and, I have a, a lung condition, so if I do get a cold, I get bronchitis and, you know, the tour's cancelled. Um, right. So I had to be super careful. And then obviously COVID hit, so it's like, well. Yeah, say goodbye um, to that, yeah. Yeah, and also just if COVID taught us anything, it's that human beings are germ factories and we can and will pass colds right. and things onto each other by shaking hands and breathing on each other, which, you know, when your job is to use your lungs to sing, it's not a good idea to try and catch something. Right, right. Apart from meeting fans, would you feel that your connection to sort of where the emotional level of your audience, would that, would that be something that you could gather you, um, 
exclusively from your live performance without actually getting like feedback from fans itself? Do you feel that when you're up there, you're getting kind of the energy back? What's that? What's what's that like for you typically at a at a show? Yeah, I mean, it's it's mixed. I had some advice years ago when I first started and someone said it's never as good as you think it is and it's never as bad as you think it is. <laughs> Um, which is very true. You know, I've had musicians come off stage and they're just wanting to hang themselves. They thought it was so bad. And it's like, it wasn't that bad. There's someone who left who thought it was the best gig they'd ever been to. Right. And, you know, I can guarantee you, you've played the best gig of your life. And there was one person in the audience that went, "Eh, not really my thing. You know, like, yeah, it's both. It's both. You kind of have to believe both sides. That's interesting. Yeah. If you're going to beat yourself over someone guaranteed, there's going to be someone out there that thought you were fabulous. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. Hard. I mean, it's, if you're a great, if you're a great player to begin with, let's put it that but way. But there's bands out there that are brilliant that have sold many, 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 many more albums than I will ever sell, and I've never bothered listening to them and have no intention of ever listening. You know, <laughs> like it's just such a strange thing, isn't it? So I think all you can do is, or I think my personal thing is, let just go out there and put as much emotion into it as possible, so that you really feel like you've given it something and you've enjoyed it because I can't make anyone else enjoy it if I'm not enjoying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm up there just going like, oh, I'm bored myself, you know, there's no way I'm going to entertain a, one single person. So I think that's just my sort of mentality is give it what you've got and hope for the best, really. Yeah. I mean, it, for, for me, the blues is such a live performance-based genre. There's so much about it that wants and that, players are out there playing for an audience and ex- having that exchange of energy and having that emotion. Is that, um, does that legacy of live performance uh, play into kind of what your creativity is, how you look at performance itself? Um, talk to me a little yeah. bit about what that, what that legacy of uh, blues artists means to you. Well, I think for me, being on stage, it's very important to me to have quite a camaraderie with the guys up there, um, mm-hmm. guys and gals, obviously. Because um, I don't want to say it feels like going into battle because it's not, but I feel like to go on stage with every musician, giving you their best, giving you their time, lending you their talent, you know, we're all up there together kind of with one objective and so that's a big deal, particularly someone who's suffered with nerves in the past, to be able to look left and right and see a, a good, good friend and someone I really admire and respect either side of me, mm-hmm. who's probably a far better musician than I am. Um, you know, that's really a lovely, lovely yeah. idea. And that there's quite a bit of collaboration in that, in, in your world. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm very lucky I've got a kick-ass band. Um, Eric Savage is a brilliant drummer. Um, not busy, hard-hitting, heavy, but soulful great feel mm-hmm. my bass player steve's been with me for about five years and he also engineers a lot of my albums he works here at rust belt uh one of my best friends so that's just you know wouldn't ever want to take the stage without him um and it, the rest is most of the band from the the, the live album so it's you know dave mcmurray and uh, jimmy wallace on keys uh, and just incredible musicians that i just never thought i'd you know i have i still don't know why they're playing with me. <laughs> um, You're very humble. But, you know, I'm great, great people. All these people yeah. are lovely people, so talented and just lovely and humble and wonderful. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. Well, clearly live performance is really plays an important part of, of who you are as an artist. Um, <clears throat> this recent album, um, uh, Blues from the Heart, 
that just that came out was that uh like in early june of this year was a film and a live album was also a billboard number one album um congratulations on that thank you yeah that's amazing um tell me a little bit about the process there since that's your sort of latest work and um there's just some incredible um incredible songs on that album and amazing playing well thank you um i mean i can't take credit for it to be honest it was my manager's idea roy wiseman came to me and said hey we're doing a gig i've got your gig we're doing the franklin theater in january it's and we're going to do a warm-up show in knoxville Mm-hmm. the Bijou Theatre, and those are your first two gigs back since COVID. You know, I'd been out with Ormond Betts playing a couple of numbers, but not a full set. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. It's like, we're getting a new band together for it, um, which was mostly because COVID had, you know, two years off. The band had kind of fallen apart. Some were still in Europe, some were taking jobs, you know. Yeah. It was kind of starting fresh. Like, oh, okay, and so you're going to play the whole album in front and then – in total and then adding some numbers that you want to add in i was like okay he's like by the way we're going to film the whole thing for pbs mm-hmm. and we're getting joke anyway and shepherd and mike Paris. and i was like right so <laughs> first gig back in two years three rehearsals being filmed guest stars he's like yep i was like cool wow <laughs> and then it was right. like oh my god um so we went down to nashville and rehearsed like five six days did the bijou and it was, you know, it's one take or nothing, you know, like we're doing a DVD and an album tonight. So for, on that one night, that, that's a yeah. lot of pressure. Was that a lot of pressure for you? It was. It was a lot of pressure. And it was quite interesting because, again, I'd been suffering with nerves before COVID. Yeah. Um, and it was really nice because I remember standing on that stage and from the get go, I was just happy to be there. I was just so thankful that. Mm. Because I didn't know whether I was going to play again. I didn't know whether I could afford to. You know, I'd eaten all my, you know, I'd finally gotten to the point where I was earning a bit of money, but even that was, you know, an average wage. And I was, you know, managed to get a little bit of savings, but I ate through them in COVID, not working for two years. And it's like, right. am I, have I got to go get a job? Have I got to move back to the UK? And, you know, mm-hmm. so just to be up there and seeing people and making music um, and then introducing, you know, these guys that, I've been heroes of mine growing up, Kenny and Joe. It was, you know, it's like, oh, this is, I am incredibly lucky to do this. And I'm incredibly thankful and should be every minute that I get to do it. So it's great. Yeah. So it worked out well. Your nerves, it you did. got them under control. I haven't, you were fine. I haven't watched it. I mean, haven't Kenny Wayne Shepherd <laughs> up there along with you? Oh, you haven't? Wait, hold on one second. You haven't watched it? No. Well, I had to. I never watched me. They're doing, we just did some music videos at the moment and I won't watch them. I don't oh want to see God. that. Really? Why? Um, oh, God, no. Well, you're always fatter than you think you are. You're always thinner <laughs> than you think you are. So I was a bit fatter. I was a bit redder. And then I sort of look a bit, you're like, oh, I thought I looked like my dad, but I look a bit like my auntie Pam. She's been <laughs> 10 years. So it's like, <laughs> just like, oh. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I didn't, I'm not. But you'll dog, listen, but you'll listen to it. I'll listen to it because I actually don't mind my singing voice as opposed to my speaking voice, which is awful. Um, you know, very high pitched British woman. But uh, I went down to Florida. We were doing some shows and I went to my manager's office and um, he made me sit and watch it. And I was just sort of like, you know, when you try to like blur so your like vision. Clockwork, clockwork orange. <laughs> yeah. And I was like sort of staring at it, but with like blurred eyes. So I could kind of make out shapes, but couldn't really see it. Uh, it's like, what about this bit? This bit's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. That's okay. So what did you like about when you watched it back? And what did you hate about it? I didn't like the fact that I was in it. 
That was oh, a big okay. Game. Let's start with that. That's a good. That's a good place to start, it's Joanne. Like, like uh, you know, it's like hearing voice back on an answer phone. You just don't look the way you think you do. Yeah. Um, I liked. I loved seeing all the band. I loved seeing all their little happy faces. Yeah. That was cool. I loved seeing Kenny. Um, I did. I was quite proud of myself that I didn't look nervous, which I wasn't, but I could have been. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly, it was just nice that there was people that lent me their time you know kenny didn't yeah. have to come out and do that joe didn't mike didn't right, Damon right. murray didn't um i mean the band was paid so fair enough they had to be there but like you know <laughs> it's just nice isn't it yeah yeah so it's mostly just about looking at it and appreciating sort of the collaborative effort that went into um a live album like that it sort of reflects your own attitude towards performance and being out there and being grateful for the band but also for those that have supported you along the way yeah, exactly. And just everyone who was there on the night, the crew were great. And you know, it's it's one of those things that it's it's strange making art and making albums because you are mm. making something that you want to be proud of. But also when you look back on it, you really just remember the experience. You know, you remember having the conversation in the backstage with Kenny's lovely manager, Kristen, and you managed you remember where you went for lunch and it was a nice day. And you know, you remember you remember memories. You don't yeah, yeah. really remember the, the feelings as much. So yeah. It was a nice it was a nice memory, it was a nice day. Was there ever a point when you were like, no, I do not want to put out a film of myself? I mean, because if you won't even watch it, why do you think other people are going to watch it? Good point. Yeah, I'll tell it. I'll tell my manager that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's. I think I understand enough that I probably am good at what I do and some people enjoy watching it, but I'm not arrogant enough that I want to sit and watch myself like some sort of weird narcissist and go, oh, look how fantastic my hair is or something it's like you know I, right. you've got to be a particular breed of narcissist really to enjoy that kind of thing well you do have you do have nice long hair so i can appreciate that as well thank god as soon as that goes my my career's over <laughs> right yeah it has nothing to do with the, the <laughs> guitar playing or your singing or anything like that um no it's all about the hair you started out the career at rough records and then you were on sony and then for the reckless heart 2019 and then i believe you if i'm not mistaken you went to to joe bonamassa's label what was it was there something about that relationship with sony that only lasted for one record i was just curious um i had a great time on sony mm-hmm. fantastic company um everyone i worked with there was super just brilliant lovely great people to work with very supportive definitely knowledgeable and knew what they were doing um Truth be told, I never envisioned myself on a major label. Mm. I'd never wanted that. It fell in my lap. And at the time, I was uh, I had my own label with a business partner. It was not working. And I, I was going to make a, a move anyway. And then the Sony thing came mm. along. And it was like, mm. well, this is perfect. Um, and as I say, everyone was great there. Um, it was an exciting new chapter. And would have done another album with them. Uh, but then COVID hit. Uh, and okay. so it was sort of, you know, that kind of stalled everything. And in the middle of COVID, I was trying to write and I just couldn't. Um, and again, the good thing about COVID was that I was finally had time at home and I was talking to friends and family a lot. And one of those people was Joe Bonamassa, who I would talk to once or twice a week, you know, with a glass of wine and put the world to rights on FaceTime. Yes. I said, um, you know, I'm trying to write. I've got nothing. I said, I'm thinking about doing a blues covers album. I've always wanted to do it. 
um, I've waited because I wanted it to be the right time. I wanted my voice to kind of catch up to my guitar playing. And I felt mm-hmm. my voice was as good as it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to do it. And he'd been producing albums and he started sending me song ideas. I sent him mine. And then after a few weeks, um, you know, he said, look, or I said to him, look, why don't you produce this? You already are. You know, we're talking about musicians. We're talking about which studio. We're talking about songs. That's basically all of the production. Yeah. Um, and then I got a phone call off Roy, his business partner, and said, look, if you're serious about doing this album with Joe, I would like to put it out. Um, so I decided to move. I mean, it was a great, I've been best friends with Joe and Roy for 12, 14 years. Um, I've never really had proper management. I never really wanted it. Um, and if anyone was going to manage me, I'd have only, you know, if you'd have asked me and I've said, there's only one person, it's Roy. It's the mm-hmm. only person I trust other than my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in this you, you already established you don't want a dadager, so there you go. I don't want a dadager. My dad is retired and has no interest in touring the world with me. <laughs> right. um, so it just, you know, it was perfect timing. It all just all fell into place. So yeah, that was the yeah. reason, really. So this is a cover album. Just talk to me a little bit about um, blues and, and history and the, the inherent link to the past that all blues mm. players have. Well, I think for me, it was, I mean, obviously I came into the blues at a very strange time. I came into it in the nineties, the two thousands when it was having a bit of a resurgence through Steve Ray Vaughan, mm-hmm. you know, and then Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Johnny Lang. Um, and I think for me, it was, I've been playing classical guitar and I, I'd done quite well of it. Well, with it, I played for the Birmingham Youth Ensemble. I loved playing guitar. I had zero interest in playing classical guitar. I couldn't mm-hmm. read music. Um, I found it very disciplined. And then along came this guitar player that clearly just played guitar however he wanted to play it. You know, he was playing very much on a blues scale, but he sounded like him. And when I went and listened to his influence, Albert Collins sounded like Albert Collins. Freddie King sounded like Freddie King. Uh, B.B. King sounded like B.B. King. There was so much room to just inject your own personality into it. And that's really what it was. It was an expression of your personality. Yeah. by a, a guitar yeah. uh, and that just really spoke to me really I mean again at the time I probably didn't really I kind of understood a bit of its origins I knew where it came from but again being a British girl in a small village in England you know the idea of slavery and, and segregation you know when you're young and you hear about something happening in the 60s it was before you were born so clearly that was again like around the time of like the Romans like, you know, when you just, right. yeah, might as well so naive. It back that far. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like Nazi Germany, that was like closer to the Egyptians than when mm. I was alive, you know, when you're just young and naive. And so I, I didn't at the time, certainly I didn't know the kind of, I knew of the back history of how it come to America and where it, you know, kind of progressed out of. Um, but then again, you know, I was seeing a lot later artists, um, so again, for me, the main thing was like just having this instrument that you could express yourself through and you didn't have to know much about music. You didn't have to know theory. You didn't have to read music, you know, as mm-hmm. long as you just used it to get your personality across. So I think that's what really sort of spoke to me. Yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, that's interesting that I uh, I had forgotten that you started out as a classical artist and, uh, you know, a lot of guitar players are like, I, I, I don't read music. I just play by feel and I play what I listen to. And, you know, um, you can say that you just didn't want to read music. At one point you were reading music and playing classical guitar. So you can come from a place of knowledge of that world that you didn't mm. want to be a part of. It's a little it's a little more staid. It's more quiet. It's more disciplined. It's more compartmentalized, I'd have to say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I've never been very good at with anything in my life. I'm I'm very hardworking and I'm very focused, but only if I want to do something. If I don't yeah. want to do it, I'm not doing it. Right. <laughs> like, I can I can uh, utterly relate to that, Joanne. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I but that's kind of the best thing about it. That means that you're authentic to your own self. That's that's not a negative take on it. It's that not necessarily you don't want to do something, but that you know what you want to do. That's that. That's the flip yeah. side of that. I know what's right. I know what is me and I know what isn't me. You know, we just did a photo shoot the other day and they brought in some stuff and it was like, yes, no. <laughs> like, I'm not wearing that. They're like, try it. I don't have to try it to know that I'm not going to enjoy wearing that. Right. You know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I've always been like that. Someone said that a few weeks ago or something, I was at a gig and someone said, I don't feel like you like this new album. I feel like Joe Bonamassa made it and it's his album. And I'm like, do you honestly think I would release an album that one good luck getting me in a recording studio to record songs I don't want to record? Good luck <laughs> yeah. getting me to agree to release something that I'm not happy with. Have you met me? Like it's just not gonna happen. Um, yeah. Well, clearly that they, they, they haven't met you. Um <laughs> yeah. Probably um, good. <laughs> have you seen um an uptick from where you stand so to speak um of female guitarists or do you feel like you've had a level of influence over the ability of women to enter into the blues genre or have more of an opportunity to um to excel in that world i don't know it's hard to gauge i hope so um uh -huh. i mean has there been some some evidence at all of that or or you know t I talk hear, to me a little bit about what you're seeing or what even or even what you're what you're not seeing or what you're what you're hearing yeah i mean you know i get male fans saying hey my i've been trying to get my daughter into guitar and she's just not interested and then i showed her your videos and she's she, you know i brought her to the gig can she meet you you know yes mm. of course would you like to come to sound check you know bring her oh, on that's stage, nice. whatever. yeah yeah um so i get quite a lot of that which is nice um and i see some of that online um I, you know, I hear little pitter-patters of women coming through that maybe working with my old label or something that, you know, I get an email saying, hey, could you send her an email? She's a big fan, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, of course, which is really nice. Um, mm -hmm. So I think a little bit, but nothing, you know, I think ridiculous. Um, Do you feel like you um, – tell me what you see out there in the crowd. Do you see more women at your shows than you would, like, if that, you're at a show of somebody else? Or what, are you, what are you seeing out there from your perspective? That's been the massive change since COVID and since moving to the new label and getting touring again, that I would say my audience, we did a tour in Feb that was kind of like Texas, Florida, and I would say the audience was 60% female. Nice. Mm -hmm. Which I've never had before. There's, mm. you know, I could play Do you think it was something people. about COVID? Like, I think, you know, yeah, I think it was the time off and more more energy was spent going into advertisement and social media because mm. I couldn't tour, which was mm. not my, I stayed home and watched Downton Abbey. But, so it was not effort on my part. It was effort on <laughs> right. other people's, yeah. on my behalf. But um, so, yeah, there's definitely been something um, 
And I will say, I think in the last few years, we're having more conversations, you know, like you kicked off this by asking me what's it like to be a female in the industry. And yeah. I have noticed in the past couple of years, you know, we're starting to talk more about that, which is, you know, which is great. We're opening up the conversation, which is making it more inclusive to more people. And, you know, I think more women tend to see those sort of articles. So therefore they're interested in coming to a show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was great. I mean, I love a mixed audience. I'd like to be, it to be as mixed as possible, but it was very nice having played predominantly to men for 20 years to walk out on stage and there were four women right in front of me. Right going, we love I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, that's gotta, cool. that's gotta be an amazing feeling for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, uh, touring. What's up with you? What, what can we, what can we look forward to? I know you're rolling through Illinois at some point. Um, there's a yeah, yeah, festival we, or something in Skokie that I hope to go to in the next, I think that's like in October or November or something like that. What else is in store? Yeah. We kick off the tour in Illinois, October 28th and we finish in Nashville on the 18th, fly straight to the UK, do a three week tour in the UK. Break for Christmas. The new album is out in October, I believe. And then we've got another US tour and European tour early next year, but we haven't announced those dates yet. So it's busy, busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the new album? Can you give me a little color on what that what what to expect a little bit? Where are you at sort of creatively? We can. I think it's out October 7th, but I'm probably wrong. Is um, there a title? It is. It's called Nobody's Fool. We recorded it with Joe Bonamassa and Josh Smith at Sunset Sound in Los Angeles in July. It's Nobody's um, Fault. Fool. F W O L. Fool. Fool. Oh, fool. Okay. Fool. There we go. My bad. Um, <laughs> it's that Midland accent. I'm sorry. I was I was trying to figure out how to say it in an American accent, and I couldn't quite get there. Um, fool. Fool. Yeah. You got to. I think there's like four different O's in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's out in October. It's all originals. One cover, I think. Mm -hmm. um, two covers actually, but one of them is written by Josh, who's the producer. So we're I'm claiming that as an original. He's in the band. It counts. Okay. Um, sure. So yeah, I just started writing for that in May, which was really good fun. It's a slightly different album for me. I think um, you know, I did the blues album, then we did the blues album live, which is the first time in my career that I've actually really attempted to do a, a blues album. You know, I'm blues influenced, but I've always said I don't think any of my blues albums are really, you know, traditional blues albums. Um, so it was quite liberating to sit down and go, you know what, if ever I could just write anything and get away with it, it's probably now having just done two blues albums and had them both go number one. Mm -hmm. So I just sat down and wrote and wrote whatever I wanted and messed around with new melodies and a lot of acoustic stuff. And it turned out really, really good. We've got, um, yeah, 11 tracks, two guests, kind of Carmen Vandenberg's on it. And my dear friend Dave Stewart is on it. Ah, okay. There you um, go. And turn it Joe back to clock. Yeah. Yeah. Which was nice to kind of come full circle, I suppose. Right. Well, it's nice yeah. to have those prior successes and congratulations on that, but clearly that's given you a confidence to go in a direction that you might not have gone in. Yeah. Prior. I think it was, I think it was more that I thought I could get away with it. <laughs> I could sort of sneak it out. And right. go like, yeah, I've, I'm not deciding to completely change what I do, but I've just done two blues albums. So I'm going to do something a bit different for this one. And by um, different, you mean like more traditional, I think is what you were saying. Uh, this album is all original and it's more pop. 
I would say more mainstream okay. than I've ever gone. Okay. Uh, definitely not a blues album. Um, so yeah, it was just nice to sit down and write songs. You know, I didn't, I didn't worry about, oh, there has to be a guitar solo in this. There has to be a big guitar riff. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that's what you would mean more by traditional is like, you got to have the break. You got to have a bridge. You got to have, this is going to be more pop. But when you say pop, when you're a blues artist, do you have kind of an expectation of sort of going to the next level of notoriety or popularity by doing that? I don't. And I think people know that I'm, being genuine when I say that I think my personality and people have been with me from the get-go have been with me for sort of 15 years now and I think they've sort of figured out that I genuinely don't really have any aspirations to be a massive artist or anything like that I just Mm -hmm. genuinely want to make music that I love making that hopefully people will resonate with people and Mm. you know people will enjoy and maybe it'll help them a little bit um so again like with this album I just wanted to do the best album I could do right now. And right now it felt like I should focus more on songs and songwritings than possibly guitar playing. <laughs> um, you know, particularly the last two albums were very vocal albums for me. And you know, I really focused on big guitar solos and big sing- uh, songs, big singing. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I mean, if that comes with it, great. If it doesn't, if I go up or down or, you know, if that's my career, I'm happy with that, you know, as long as I can keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's given you the opportunity to sort of step into who you, what you really want to do from an authentic standpoint, and that's kind of what, what, what it, sort of what it's all about. And I, 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 yeah. I, I enjoy that perspective that you have. That I'm going to put something out that I really feel is where I'm at right now, and hopefully that'll resonate with some people. Yeah, and I think that's better than the other option is faking it, where you go like, oh, well, this album's successful, so I'll try and copy that. And you just end up with an album that sounds a bit like that one, but not as good because you've right. faked it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, precisely. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, like you just mentioned success, it's quite nice to be at my level where there's not too much of a spotlight on me. You know, it's not like I had Adele's multi-multi-platinum album and now there's a massive pressure to follow it up. Yeah, You know, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit out the public eye so I can just really focus on making the music I want to make and just hopefully making a living doing it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all good. It's all great. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much. Famous for last sure. words. Yeah. Well, uh, and so that's coming out when? I think October, October, October 7th, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, heads up to everybody for that release. I'll definitely be, um, I'll definitely be at the show in uh, in Skokie. Uh, if I'm in town, I will. Uh, I'll come by and I'll, I'll wait by the stage door and hopefully, please I'll, do. I'll recognize you. Unlike that story that we were talking about, where someone was talking about you to another person and didn't realize <laughs> you were standing right there. How long ago was did that occur? That would have been in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Well, and, um, and, and, and it was, when I was reading about that, you mentioned like there was somebody who thought like it, it was the whole, like, this is a woman. So it must be the wife or the girlfriend of one of the artists. And that's, that's, gotta, that's, that's fucked what up. it felt like. Yeah. Um, that's so fucked up. All right. I want to end this on a bummer note. I just like, oh, I thought um, it was hilarious. I just felt okay. bad for his girlfriend who had realized what was going on and was clearly mortified. Right. And kept like trying nudging to nudging him, like, shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. And then looking at me going, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah, but is it fine though? I don't care. 
I mean, the way I look at it, at it is he's probably an idiot, and I got out of having to have a conversation with an idiot. There's always upside. I think I probably dodged a bullet, to be honest. Yeah, there you go. You didn't have to talk to this guy again. Okay. <laughs> I'll recognize who you are when I come to your show. Thanks so much for being here, Joanne. I really appreciate your time. And uh, for someone that doesn't like to talk about their personal life, you did a pretty good job. And I appreciate I, you going down I a couple tried. different couple different <laughs> roads. I could tell you were, so, I, I got you squirming a little bit. So, um, but That's your you know job. what? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, um, it's only positive to sort of understand a little bit more about who you are as an artist and as a person. It's nice. And I'm getting more comfortable with it as I get older. But part of it is I do like hearing the stories come out that people assume about you. So one of them is mm. I'm married to a woman and I have three children with her. Oh, okay. What's her so name? So it's quite uh, Jesse Hastings, I believe. <laughs> uh, we're divorced. We've got three children and right. she got away with five million in the divorce was the other story. Oh, okay. Out. All right. So it's quite nice to just give a little bit of information to see what people fill in the dots with let's get the <laughs> let's know? get the truth out so we'll have to have another podcast we'll ha we'll have another talk uh because i don't want to yeah, take up too much of your time where we're gonna we're gonna scratch a little bit deeper into your own in <laughs> really personal life but that'll be that'll be in part two joanne and then i've we can, uh, got that to look forward to absolutely <laughs> thanks again for being here so much good luck no worries thank you very much cheers Okay, that was Joanne Shaw Taylor and me having a really nice chat. I just loved vibing with Joanne, and she's just such an amazing musician, performer, blues artist, vocalist. Uh, she's got the whole package. She's been in this for quite a while, as you all learned. I am so enamored with the uh, blues genre and category it's just because there is just that emotion that's built in we're building off of uh typical minor scales not to get too much into musical theory not that i can but um there's so much personal and unique emotion that makes your playing very much your own and it's that emotion that you infuse into your playing and into performance that's so wonderful about the blues and about what joanne does and how she performs up on stage she talks about uh the physicality of playing um her mom was a dancer and uh so she could really relate to what that feels like um you know she talked about uh guitar playing hitting the right note and equates that to dancing and that kind of physicality of being in that sweet spot when I asked her about what it's really like up there performing uh, blues and how guitar playing is really uh, a very kind of a physical endeavor. It's so interesting. And uh, we talked a little bit about fan emotion as well. And on that note, also, Joanne seems to be very generous with her fans, always willing to meet people, inviting fans back to the stage door to chat, to sign stuff. And uh, I think that's also really wonderful. But also, uh, uh, you know, in talking about what those vibes, what she feels up on stage, you know, and then she talked about, you know, reviewing her own work. Um, of course, they uh, produced the movie from the album Live from the Heart and how she didn't want to watch that. But I asked her about uh, how that feels feels what kind of vibe she gets from the audience because blues is such uh, an emotionally performative uh, genre and that's what she does you know and she talked about um, how it's never really as bad as you
you think it is, and it's never really as good as you think it is. So whatever those vibes she's getting, uh, she really tries to maintain and keep that objectivity, which I think is uh, really interesting and important also, and um, sort of that juxtaposition of trying to be objective, but then being extremely emotionally performative. It's very, um, that duality is always very compelling. And of course, blues is just an incredibly uh, moving and emotionally um, significant event to see an amazing blues performance. And uh, Joanne is one of those. Um, Make sure to check out her album Live from the Heart from earlier in 2022 and Nobody's Fool, which came out last October. And of course, uh, her tour dates for my UK listeners. She's got a bunch of tour dates uh, coming up later this year in the UK. And of course, she's coming back to the United States in March and April. So make sure you go to her website and check those out. Uh, Thanks again to everyone for being here. I'm so happy that you're along for this particular interview with Joanne Shaw Taylor. And I want to send a special shout out to Joanne and a thank you for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>